this morning as we look into our biblical text, we'll see that freedom and forgiveness have a lot in common. If you do have Bibles, you can open them to Matthew chapter 18 right now. If you don't have a Bible with you, there is one in front of you. You're welcome to use the table of contents and find Matthew. It's about halfway through, maybe two-thirds of the way through. Google Matthew 18 and something will show up. And Hopefully it's the same words that I'm reading in a second. It's a lot of different versions of the Bible. I'm reading out of the New International Version, which is very similar to the one that you have in the seat in front of you, which is a different version of the New International Version. A lot of versions out there. We're going to read Matthew 18, 21 through the end of the chapter. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owned him 10,000 bags of gold, or 10,000 talents, your translation might say, was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay that debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay you back everything, or I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could repay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you asked me to. You begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you, unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. One of the most famous parables of scriptures is, is not this one, but Jesus' parable of, I was going to say the Good Samaritan. That one's famous too. Jesus' parable of the prodigal son. You heard that parable? It's a story where a father had an estate and his younger son didn't want anything to do with the family. He goes to his dad and he says, give me my share of the inheritance. And so the dad graciously sells off a third of his estate, gives it to the kid who leaves the family and squanders the money. He goes off to the Vegas of Palestine and, and, and just spends it all. He ends up like, using the money on wine and women and 
oh, God knows what, and, and ends up landing in a pigsty, trying to make ends meet, feeding pigs, starving, hungry, and in the depths of depravity, the young son says, what am I doing? The servants in my father's household had more than enough to eat. I should go back home to my dad and beg for him to forgive me. And he he rehearses a speech in his mind. Just make me like one of your hired servants, dad. Let me come back home, dad. And as he's walking down the road to see his father and to beg for mercy, his father sees the young son in the distance. And he picks up his clothes and he runs towards the son and he embraces him. And and before the son can get out his speech, like, dad, please just make me like a servant, he says, no, 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 you're my son. And he puts a robe on him and he puts the ring on him, the family ring. And he says, kill the fattened calf for having a party because this son of mine was dead. And now he's alive. He was lost. But now he's found. It's a powerful story. A story about forgiveness and mercy and the grace of a father who would forgive so immensely. Can you imagine what would happen if the next morning after the party, the father woke up and his house was in shambles, fattened calf meat everywhere, and... And so he starts to clean up from the party, and he's just glad that his son is home. He goes to check in on his young son, and, and the bedroom's empty, and the bed is made, but the robe is gone, the ring is gone, and he checks the safe, and the money is gone, and he realizes that his son has split again. How would you feel if you were that father? I just forgave him of all that. I just made him part of the family. We threw him a party and and he's gone again? Two months later, the son comes wallowing down the road again. Saying, Dad, forgive me again? And the older son would say, you better not throw him another party. Do you welcome him back in again? And if you do, what what happens when he leaves again? And you feel like he's walking all over you. He feels like he's taking advantage of your forgiveness. He feels like he's doing his own thing. and, And he breaks your heart over and over and over again. You know, for many of us, this is not a hypothetical story, is it? We've got people in our own lives who just betray us over and over again. And a friend at school who stabs you in the back and then comes and says, will you forgive me? And you do. And then they do it again. They talk about you. Right? The brother who comes and says, hey, can I borrow a couple hundred bucks? Of, of course. I'm just running on some hard times. I'll pay you back. Of course, right? You don't get it back, do you? <laughs> and he comes back again. Hey, I meant to use the money you gave me on on what I was going to, but I had to spend it on this or that. And can I get a couple hundred more dollars? Do I forgive him again? The kid who just keeps making bad choices and coming home and leaving and coming home and leaving. And you forgive him and then he leaves and you forgive him. Then he leaves over and over and over again. When, when is enough enough? And when does forgiveness stop? 
When are you allowed to tell someone, you know what, I'm done with you now. Don't walk down that road again. Don't knock on my door again. Don't you dare call me again. Don't text me again. It's over. We're done. No more forgiveness for you. You've had your chance. This is the question that Peter brings to Jesus at the end of Matthew 18. Because Jesus has been sharing some amazing, beautiful things about forgiveness and reconciliation. He says, my kingdom is a one where when people are lost, we go find them. My kingdom is one that when someone sins against us, we go after them and we force them to reconcile. We live in harmony in my kingdom. This is the rule of my kingdom is we always forgive. And I don't know who Peter was thinking about when Jesus was sharing these parables. Maybe he was thinking about your brother-in-law or something. (laughs) And Peter comes to Jesus and says, Lord, (laughs) how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? When does forgiveness stop? And the rule of thumb in that day was three strikes, you're out. When you forgive someone, shame on, they sin against you, shame on them. Second, shame on me, right? Third, one more chance, right? Three strikes, you're out. Peter says, okay, we're in a gracious kingdom. We're in a forgiving kingdom. It's different. Do they get seven strikes in our kingdom? When is enough enough? Seven times? And Jesus famously responds back to Peter and says, I tell you the truth, not seven times, but 77 times. Your translation might say 70 times seven. We read it as infinite times. Always forgive, Jesus says. That's the rule in my kingdom. I wonder what the disciples would have said if they wanted to be honest in that moment. Jesus, do you you know what you're doing? If we just keep forgiving people, they're going to walk all over us. Jesus, do do you understand what my brother did against me? You really want me to forgive again? Jesus, I've been dealing with this my whole life. I've already forgiven them 77 times. I'm going to take that literally. They don't get 78. (laughs) Peter says, you're the Lord. You're my king. And they don't respond. And Jesus, as he loves to do, responds himself with a story parable. He says, I want you to imagine a kingdom where a king wants to settle accounts with his servants. And he pulls a guy in who owed him 10,000 talents. 10,000 bags of gold, my translation says. Millions of dollars. And he says, all right, it's time to pay up. And the guy doesn't have the money. And so the, the, king, the king says, pay up. And he hits his knees, he breaks down, and he says, just give me more time, just give me more time, I'll pay you back, just give me more time. And he says, let's start thinking in that direction. And some of you are already thinking about these people who have had that conversation with you, just give me more time. Right? Not that you're a loan shark or anything, but hey, give me more time, I'll pay you back. Hey, just give me one more chance, I'm not going to let you down this time. Just 300 more bucks, and then I'll be good, right? Just five grand more, and then my, my problems will be solved, right? We know as we read this story That when someone comes to you and says, just give me more time, they're lying. They're not going to pay you back. 
right? This guy who had racked up millions or billions of dollars in debt, even if he was being genuine, where are you going to get a billion dollars when you're a billion dollars in debt? Right? There's no way that this guy was ever going to pay him back. Right? Your brother, you know, if he comes back to you and says, just 300 more bucks, it's not the end. There'll be 300 more than 300 more than 300 more. You know he's lying. Maybe he means it. He wants to pay it back, but he won't. This man comes to the king and says, just give me more time. In that society, it was different than ours. There's no bankruptcy. There's no debt forgiveness. If you find yourself in a debt that you can't pay in Jesus' day, it was kind of the end for you. Right? The king brings you to him and says, it's time to pay up, and you don't have the billion dollars. The king's going to throw you in prison. He's going to sell your property, liquefy your assets. He's going to sell your kids into slavery. He's going to sell your wife into slavery. Take all the money he can out of your estate, and then you're going to sit and languish in jail until you make up the rest of it. And so as this man sat before the king, he realized that his life was over. And so when he says, just give me more time and I'll pay you back, maybe he knew he could never pay him back. Maybe he was really just saying, just give me more time before I'm in jail for the rest of my life. I don't want to leave my family. I don't want to leave my kids. I just need a little more and I'll be okay. Just give me more time. And we feel for that man. And the king felt for that man too. And he says, you know what? It's forgiven. Well, this is the part of the story where we start to get nervous because we start thinking about the people in our lives. But we just let them off the hook? Oh yeah, sure, they feel like it's the end of the world for them, but what about me? I'm the one that they've sinned against. I'm the one that they keep getting cash from. I'm their ATM. I'm the one that they said those things about. I'm just going to let them off the hook? Have you ever been let off the hook? It is an amazing feeling. Have you ever been in crippling debt before? You know that's a terrible place to be. You're just trying to keep current on your bills, figure out which one's to be late on this month. You're trying to pay the minimum payments on all your credit cards, and you just know in the back of your mind, even if you could pay off those minimum payments, you're not touching the principal. You're going to be in this cloud forever. You can see how amazing it would be if someone just lifted it all. I got a little glimpse of this a few months back. We had to buy a new car. I've told you I have a thousand children. And, we <laughs> and so we realized, well, this minivan only seats eight. We need a car that seats nine because we got six kids. And then if one kid wants to bring a friend one time, we need an extra seat. And, and so I'm looking around. I need to find a nine-passenger car. I didn't want to upgrade to the bus yet or whatever. Like that's... <laughs> And so I realized that there are Suburbans that have nine passengers, but they're only in Utah, right? Because that's the land of people with thousands of kids. And, and so I found a nine, a nine, Andy got it. I found a nine-passenger Suburban in Salt Lake City. I'm like, I'm going. I'm flying out there today. I'm going to buy it, right? So I fly out to Salt Lake City. It's snowing. It's dark. It's cold. I'm at this car lot looking at this car. I don't know anything about cars. Like, it looks good, right? Looks like I want to rest on here, but maybe that's normal, right? It looks good. And, and so I'm talking to the guy, and as I'm talking to him, I'm realizing I have no negotiating power because I just flew to Salt Lake City to buy this vehicle. And he's like, yeah, you can fly home if you want or buy it at this price. I'm like, oh, no, what have I done? And I didn't want to fly home. I wanted my Suburban. And so I said, well, hey, does this thing come with a warranty? And he said, yeah, you can buy a warranty. I'm like, no, I don't want to buy a warranty. I want a warranty. He said, no, you can buy one. I'm like, I'm not buying one. I'm like, listen, just 
What happens if it breaks down on my way home? The famous last words. He said, well, cars break down. <laughs> buy the warranty. I don't want to buy the warranty. And so I, I got in the car and I started to drive. And I made it through Utah. <laughs> I made it through Nevada. Thank God I would have died if I broke down in Nevada. Uh, nothing in Nevada. Where I was, Nevada's a beautiful state. And I come into beautiful California, make the turn. I'm like, I'm almost home. I'm not going to pull off the freeway and get the car washed in Fairfield, right? Pick up some jelly beans for the kids out there. And, and as I'm coming off the freeway, I hear the weirdest sound. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, maybe that's normal, right? It's a suburban. Maybe like they sound like they're running over dead, dying cats or something. Maybe that's what happens. And sure enough, it's just like, and oh, no, right? And so I roll into this repair shop, and I'm like, listen, I'm like an hour from home. I know you're about to close. Will you look at it? They're like, sure, we'll look at it. And they're like, hey, yeah, the wheel bearing is busted. It's going to be 800 bucks. We've got to order the part. And hey, is there some other stuff that's broken too? I'm like, oh, geez, right? Like, don't tell my wife. Don't tell my wife. And so I'm like, I got to call the, the dealer. Like, I don't, I don't have this kind of money. I just spent all my money on this, like, tin can behind me here. And, and so I call the dealer. I'm like, and I'm thinking, he's not going to pick up, right? Like, he would pick up all my calls before I bought the car. But, and I call the guy, and I'm like, hey, here's the deal. It broke down. And he said, I I'm, I'm, kid you not, he said, I told you to buy the warranty. I'm like, listen, I get it. I, I know cars break down. I just didn't expect it would break down in the first, like, 300 miles. And he's like, listen, like, I get it. He said, just send me the bill. Get it all fixed. Get it all tuned up. Send me the bill. We'll take care of it. And, and in this moment, yeah, good job, guy in Utah, right? And, and, and in that moment, I just felt this, like, oh, I can't. I could tell my wife this story, you know. <laughs> Happy ending. Like, I told you not to fight. She doesn't talk like that. Uh, and I got a glimpse of what it feels like to be forgiven. And you hear a story about a man who was forgiven of, of a billions of dollars debt. And you think, man, that must have changed that guy. <laughs> right? that, that weight lifted on him, should have off of him, should have given him a new outlook on life. I, I wouldn't be able to imagine how different he would have been walking out of that palace, just extending forgiveness to all, living a new life, turning over a new leaf, right? That's what we would expect would happen. But it's a parable. The story has a moral. And that's not what happens. Right? And as we start to think about those who have sinned against us and kind of how that all fleshes out in our lives, we're thinking, okay, I get it, right? The, the guy gets forgiven of a huge debt. <laughs> then he goes out, he racks up a new debt, and he comes back to the king, and the king forgives him again. Then he racks up a new debt, then he comes back, and the king forgives him again. Then he racks up a new debt, he comes back to the king, and the king forgives him again. The king forgives him infinite times. Of course, Jesus, that's where the story's going. But that's not where the story goes. The guy doesn't go out from the palace and do good. He doesn't go out from the palace and rack up new debt. Jesus tells us that the man goes out from the palace, 
found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, like probably three grand. He grabs him and begins to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. Right? This isn't a story of a, of a servant who gets forgiven and then goes and racks up new debt. This is a story of a servant who gets forgiven and then becomes a loan shark. And we think, Jesus, why, why did the story go that way? And we realize in that moment that when we read the story, we tend to think that we are the king. Right? We read the story and we're like, oh yeah, that's like that guy who sinned against me and I forgave him of a huge debt. Jesus says, that's, you're not the king in this story. You're the servant in this story. You are the one who came before the actual king and was forgiven of a huge insurmountable debt. And then you went out, got in a squabble with your brother or sister, and it's coming back to the king and saying, how many times do I have to forgive this jerk? Like, did you forget that you were forgiven of billions of dollars worth of debt like an hour ago? Can you imagine how Peter's question sounded to Jesus? And Jesus, who spends his time in heaven forgiving those who come before him, and one of those servants comes back and says, listen, I get it. I forgive my brother. He stole 50 bucks from me. But when does it stop? Jesus said, well, picture this. Picture a man stands before a king and gets forgiven of an insurmountable debt. And then he realizes his friend owes him 50 bucks. How ridiculous would it seem for that man to choke that man out and say, give me what you owe me. You're not the king. You're the servant in this story. I'm the servant in this story. And Jesus tries to paint a picture for his disciples where they see that the foundation of forgiveness is the forgiveness that's been extended to them. You want to know how, how often to forgive your brother? Forgive him in proportion to what you've been forgiven by the king. Be a forgiving people because you have a forgiving God. Be a forgiving person because you were forgiven of such an insurmountable debt that even if someone owes you five grand and it seems like a lot to you, it's nothing compared to the debt that you were forgiven by your heavenly father, the real king. Stop acting like you're the king of the universe and realize there is one who has forgiven you, and that should affect your worldview as you engage with a sinful world around you. That's a tough truth. As we think of the people in our own lives who have sinned against us, I think there are two types of people in this room. There are people who have been sinned against and you're ready to be done <laughs> with your brother. Like you're ready to be done with that person who sinned against you time and time again. You're ready to cut out of your life, cut out of your will, cut out of your existence, the person who keeps messing with you. You want to write them off. And so you are Peter saying, how many times do I need to keep forgiving my brother, my sister, my aunt, my uncle, my friend, my boss, my coworker? How many times? Like that's one group of us. And I think that's the group of us who needs to hear Jesus' harsh words in this passage. It says, keep forgiving because I keep forgiving. 
But there's another group of us in this room who are thinking about people in our lives that have sinned time and time and time again. And we don't want to cut them off. We think of the son who keeps getting caught in addiction. And he keeps coming back home and saying, give him another chance, mom. And so you do. And then he gets caught in it again. And give me another chance. And then he does. And then he gets caught in it again. And give me another chance. And you do. And, and you don't want to be done with your kid, right? You'll never be done with him. You love him. I think of the woman in here who's in a relationship that is abusive and your boyfriend just keeps going against you and then coming back and pleading, give me more time, give me forgiveness, and you don't want to be done with him. You love him. And so you keep bringing him back and he hurts you again. You keep bringing him back and he hurts you again. And you read this passage and think, okay, I guess I just need to keep existing with this man in my life because Jesus says I need to forgive him infinite times. Jesus is not talking to you. In this passage. Jesus is talking to a Peter who is ready to write someone out of his life. That's someone who needs to learn how to forgive. And Jesus is not talking to someone who just keeps letting someone in who keeps hurt, hurting them. It's, he's not coming against you. There's a difference between forgiveness and, and enabling. Right? There's, a, there's a difference between reconciliation and wisdom. And the way that I tend to look at it, and when I talk to people here, we tend to navigate it together, is I said, we, we want to help all people. Right? We want to be a forgiving people. We want to help all people. But we want to help people in a way that is helpful for them. Right? If your boyfriend keeps abusing you, bringing him back over and over again, is not helpful for him or for you. That's not helping him. Right? You think about it this way. If you see someone on the road who's asking for money, right? you think, well, I'm a Christian. I should probably give him money. But then there's that thought in your head that says, no, 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 he's just going to spend it on drugs. You're just going to spend it on alcohol, right? And then you have this battle in your heart. And you think, okay, do I do the nice thing and give him cash or the mean thing and clamp him off and walk away, right? There's a third thing you can do. Right? Because if you talk to anyone who is working with those in recovery or is working with those who are on the streets, they would say, don't give him money. That's not helpful. It feeds the addiction or it helps them to stay in the space where they can't get out of it. Don't give him money. What would be more helpful for them? Is buy him a meal right? or help him connect to a program. Or, or sometimes it's more helpful to say, you know what, no, right? Get to know people and help them, not in a way where you just kind of throw money and run, right? Help people in a way that is helpful. Right? With your son who keeps getting caught on drugs or keeps making poor choices or your daughter who keeps going down that wrong, bad path again and again and again, you don't have a problem with forgiveness, right? You never stop forgiving your kid. But you need some wisdom to know how do I help my kid in a way that's helpful to them. Or the abusive boyfriend, you don't need to just bring him back over and over again. What's most helpful for that man is to lose his girlfriend, hit rock bottom, and realize he's an idiot. That's what he needs, right? And so you forgive them, of course, right? And that's hard, and that takes work and processing. But don't think that, that's, that you're the person Jesus is talking to. He's talking to Peter who is trying to clamp down his heart and saying, when can I stop loving my neighbor? When can I stop forgiving? And Jesus says, never. While he's choking this man, <laughs> the guy somehow falls to his knees and says, just give me more time. I'll pay back everything. It's a familiar 
phrase. That's what he said to the king. Uh, but instead of having this reality check and saying, what am I doing? I've been forgiven of a huge debt. He says, throw him in jail. And the townspeople who have caught wind of the lavish generosity and the hypocrisy in this jail throwing, they run to the king. They scamper to the king, right? And Jesus tells us in this parable that when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. They went and told their master everything that had happened. And then the master calls the servant in. The servant who was forgiven of billions of dollars. He calls him in and he says, You wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. And now you find someone who owes you a little bit of money and you throw him in jail? Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And Jesus closes this parable in verse 34 and says, In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And we feel like Jesus would come out of that parable and say, Hey, this is a little heavy, sorry. But instead he says, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. How, how many times should you forgive your brother? How about this rule of thumb? You can stop forgiving your brother when you're ready for God to stop forgiving you. That's when. Right, those of you who are harboring this anger today, hearts are just looking for an opportunity to clamp down against someone. Jesus says, you can forgive them when you're ready for the streams of forgiveness to stop flowing towards you. And we think, well, that's not fair. Right? The, the king says that we need to be people who forgive infinitely, but he only forgave the guy once. Right? He brought the guy in, forgave him his debt. The guy screwed up again. He comes back and he stops forgiving. That's not fair. How come I have to forgive infinite times if the king can only forgive one time? It's a parable. You're not the king. Right? In a country, in a sovereign state, the king's job is to do justice. Our job is to follow the law. That's how it works. In Jesus' story, the king's job is to be the promoter, avenger of justice. And the people's job is to live out the law of the land. And in the kingdom that Jesus is advocating, the law of the land is always forgive, never cease to forgive. Let the streams of forgiveness flow freely throughout our nation. That's the law of the land. We don't get to break that law. And the king's job is to enforce the law. And that's how I love it. in this passage, it could have said, when he begins to choke him, the townspeople are greatly distressed and they shot him. That's not what happened, right? They didn't go vigilante justice. They ran to the king, the bearer of true justice. And they said, you would not believe who's breaking the law in your land. And they prayed him back to the king, the arbiter of justice, and say, look what this man did. And the king does justice. They follow the law. And we need to understand this as Christians because Christians generally have the reputation for being very judgmental. You heard that? <laughs> 
Have you experienced that? You are not the judge. You are the law-abiding forgiveness bearer. You're the one who shows the world what the love and forgiveness of the king is like. And honestly, we want to live in a place, we want to live in a nation, we want to live in a community where forgiveness flows like water, don't we? When we sin against others, we're quickly forgiven. When others sin against us, we quickly forgive. No matter how many times, we're always brought back and we're always welcomed back into the fold, the community, the faith nation that we're part of. That's what we want. But when we start becoming judges with our own motives and going vigilante on people, all it does is destroy the community we're a part of. If you've been wronged and you're mad, your one-two punch is forgive lavishly and go to the king and talk about justice. And I think about the widow in Luke 19 who's going to the judge day and night. Give me justice. Give me justice. Give me justice. Right? She doesn't go take justice into her own hand and kill her neighbor. She goes to the king and says, you are the one who brings justice. I need it, so I come to you. Run to the king and say, my brother keeps sinning against me, and I keep forgiving him, but please stop him for his own good. Help him in a way that's helpful. Let him hit rock bottom. And I'm going to keep forgiving. And I need you to give me wisdom to know when I'm harming him with my help. But God, you got to do something. you got to intervene here because this is going to destroy him if he keeps doing this to people. And if the prodigal son came back and said, I need forgiveness again, the father would forgive him again. And you know how I know? It's because when we sin and we go prodigal and we come back, the Father forgives us again and again and again. Not three times. Not seven times. Not 77 times. Not 70 times seven times. Infinite times. He forgives and forgives and forgives. And he says, go be my people and let forgiveness flow like water amongst you. So that people will see what your God is like. 